0: Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host, an owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. Hi guys, it's Brad Thornton here. We've got Anne Hulton today. Now, she's a, a, a dentist who has made a transition from working as a dentist into a Another career. So she's she's moved into property, she's built a property portfolio that's quite enviable to be honest. Um, she's done it over a well, she's done part of it over quite a long period of time, and then she accelerated over the last five years to a point where she's got a pretty sizable portfolio and her income stream from her sort of asset pile, which is her profit portfolio, now exceeds the amount of money she was earning as a dentist. So, yeah, somebody who's done something which I think a lot of us maybe at the moment are, are thinking. They would love to do you know transition out of, of practice and maybe do something day to day that is a bit less stressful a bit less regulated or at least not regulated the way dentistry is and just kind of get rid of these pressures that we're feeling at the moment now you know I think that the move from total dental profession into total you know property profession is quite a big jump for, for most of us listening. But then the idea of starting to build assets and invest in assets, especially ones that create cash flow and, you know, trying to generate an income that we we have as our disposable income that isn't from our job, our main income stream. It's from our passive income. I think that's kind of a really uh, important thing to try and aim to do. There was a, a Facebook thread thread a while ago and – you know a dentist on there was talking about how they'd invest in stocks and shares and certain things so that the money they were getting from their sort of assets that were in a way totally you know they don't have to be registered to have these assets, they don't have to have indemnity, they can't get sued and lose them. Um, you know, you're creating an income that isn't dependent upon the GDC registration, it isn't affected by dental law partnership, it isn't. You know, impacted by a disgruntled patient, or an asshole principal, or pain in the backside associates. If you get my drift, so it'd be good to the for you guys to listen to this interview, listen to Anne's story, um, see how she's done it. Maybe there are things which you can start to implement yourself now, ways you can start to view to do things uh, moving forward in the future. Um, send us an email, brad at bradpotentius com. Fire a message over on Facebook if you want to know more information about this sort of stuff then uh, yeah, then let me know. It's, a, it's a, a sort of strategy, it's something that I'm gonna be looking more into at the moment, you know, I've got, um, you know, I, I sold my stake in, in one of the businesses that I helped set up, so, you know, I've got something there that I'm gonna start using to invest in property, and I'm gonna share my journey with you guys. Uh, some of you may not be interested, but tough, I'm gonna to do it anyway. So here you go, i Holton about professional and full-time in property. Used to be a dentist. Here's her story. Yeah, I think your story is just a, a, a very kind of relevant story at the moment. <clears throat> um, you know, we're kind of in a profession that's gone through a lot of changes anyway. But I think at the moment, speaking to dentists, hearing stories, I think a lot of people at all parts of their career are starting to, to kind of reflect and and I suppose take stock of what they've got, take stock of what they've been through, take stock of the future. And I think the idea of, or at least the dream of creating something that means that they're less reliant on clinical practice, you know, trying to transition to a point where life is maybe less stressful. Um, I know it can never be stress-free, but I think your your story is just you know when i when i've seen some of the stuff because i'm in the progressive community and and for those that aren't familiar with that you know the the progressive property community is just a group of property investors and people that are interested in property um, i think it's a really supportive community and, and i've i've kind of watched you um talk about your journey and as a dentist, it's just inspired me to, to try and do more of myself. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really happy that you're, that you've agreed to come on and, and talk about it. Cause I think it might give people a little bit of inspiration, even if they're not ready just yet, or at least they may not think they're ready just yet. It might give someone a bit of a, a guiding light as to what's possible. um, so uh, w- welcome Anne and you know and <laughs> um, just wondering if you'd like to give people just a little bit of, of background if, if possible.
1: Yeah so I don't really know where to start I'll, I'll probably start back when I was uh, I grew up as a child in sort of Lee in southeast London and I was like not many people listening because I'm sure you're audience is probably younger than I am, but like a lot of people of my generation, I was kind of first generation go to university. It wasn't something that everybody did back in the day. So my dad was a lathe turner at the Woolwich Arsenal, which was basically he did a five-year apprenticeship to learn how to mill metal, turn metal into different objects um so he was a skilled manual worker but that took five years to learn of course now you press a button the machine just does that so it's an yeah. absolute job my mum had trained as a nurse but my dad being a very solid working class guy in the 60s you know your wife did not work otherwise it was a massive insult to you so she stayed home and looked after the kids we didn't own the house we lived in my grandparents actually owned it because my parents couldn't afford a mortgage so there was a lot of us in a house um so my dream growing up really was to um, have some sort of financial security, if you like. And I, because I was bright at school, I kind of fell into dentistry. Um, of I, <laughs> I went to a um, presentation, I think it was at King's College. It was north of the river. I'm, I've never been north of the river in my life. And I clearly remember we sat in this big lecture hall and they played a promotional video for dentistry, which I can't quite believe it. <laughs> so it panned out onto, you can imagine, it, it's a country scene where you've got a field of wheat and at the bottom of the field of wheat is literally a thatched house. Yeah. And when you drove, when it panned down to the thatched house, there was a, a turning circle. very run I come from a terrace in south east London. Yeah, a turning circle gravel uh, and you entered the house, the phone crew entered the house and a dentist, I found out he was a dentist later in the film, came down wearing a squash kit. With a squash racket. And there was two blonde children, you know, he was a white guy with two blonde children sitting at you know at the breakfast table and he ruffled their hair, got in his little Porsche, and (laughs) to play squash. And then subsequently they showed him his dental practice. And I sat there from where I was, I thought, yes, I need a piece of this. (laughs) I need to do some dentistry. So I kind of fell into dentistry that that way. Um to get to dentistry was quite difficult because I was failing comprehensive. When I announced I wanted to try and become a dentist, the headmaster called me into his study. Um, I was very scared because I'd never been into the head study before. It was a school of 2,000 kids and basically said, you've applied to do dentistry because I filled up my own UCAS form, written my own personal statement, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah. So you won't do that. Nobody from this schools ever got into, you know, law, accountancy, dentistry, medicine. We think we might get you into do biology. We think you should change your application. There was something in me. It's kind of, I suppose, that's partly where the, some of us will have this kind of drive to do more that said, no, I'm going to give it a go. So I gave it a go. I didn't get any extra tuition. I had to kind of by hook and by crook get in. When I got to dental school, the world was completely different because then there was a a peer group of like-minded, supportive people who all wanted to be dentists rather than at my school where I was really badly bullied for being a bit of a swot. So dentistry kind of, I'm really passionate about dentistry because it completely changed my life and it opened my mind to a whole different world of possibilities of a different type of person that I was interacting with. And I really blossomed and really loved it. And I, I saw myself, it defined me. And for many of us listening in, I don't know where we all are now in our journeys. We put, we put our whole heart and soul into it because I did dentistry for 30 years and I felt that it... It was me. I was, when people ask me anything about me, the first thing I'd say was I was a dentist. So because that that was important to me. But it's quite a tough gig. We all know listening in, it's a tough gig. Patients don't see you in the same light. They don't see you as kind of ministering angels who are going to, you know, save their teeth and give them a beautiful smile and get them out of pain. They see us as the money grabbing, you know, so and so's who are only in it for, you know, a quick buck. I can honestly say when I went to dentist school I don't think it's still the same now when I went to dental school none of us talked about money we all just wanted to help people and yeah. when I eventually became a dentist and found out you know apart from that promotional video that actually I was going to good money yeah. I was highly delighted so I spent a lot of yeah. time doing it but there's a for professional yeah. development there's any subscriptions there's the people not really uh, enjoying what you do there's the long hours you know and for me it was a bit ground dog day because I I Ended up in one particular really nice private practice for, um, for 27 years. And right. it was literally Groundhog Day. So we had little tiny kids coming in, you know, two, three, four-year-olds. And they grew up to be adults, got kids of their own and brought those kids in to see us. And myself and yeah. the dentist had the same dental nurse for that whole time. We were just doing the same things. Because even if you're, you're very skilled and I've done the courses and I could do this and do that, once you've got a good, strong patient base, those of you who've got a good strong patient base know that they want to see you and they're mostly dentally fit. So they yeah. keep coming in. There's very little new, exciting stuff to do unless you're constantly filling up you know, new appointments or doing more hours so you can fit more exciting stuff in because the routine yeah. stuff, when you get a big list, starts to take. <clears throat> so there's a yeah. huge amount of <laughs> repetition and... The other thing that I say when I'm talking about encouraging people to get into property was that although I really, really, really like my dental nurse and we had a great time together for 27 years, I still see her to this day even though I've been gone now for five years. We only see each other maybe two, three times a year, we don't speak more than four times a year on the phone. But we calculated, I calculated once in a failed appointment, you know, somebody failed an appointment, I sat down and I worked out how many hours my dental nurse Pat and I had spent together over 27 years. And unfortunately for both of us, it was more time that either of us had spent with our partners or our children over that time. Yeah. And that, when you start to actually start to think about that, and maybe not with one dentist, but other staff members, do you really want to spend your whole life with people that aren't necessarily the people you love most in the world or want to spend the most time with? So that, for me, was a big change. It's properties allowed me to do what I want to do, which I now spend my time I do train other people to do property and I really get a buzz out of that. But most of my time is spent with my family, my partner, and doing the stuff that I now want to do. So properties bought me, yes, financially, it's made me very secure. So I make more money, significantly more money from property than I ever did through dentistry. But mostly it's given me time freedom. So when we're not engaging with COVID, I now get to spend, I used to, have diarized and booked out one month in three where Steve and I, because my kids have left home now, Steve and I would travel either in the UK or other parts of the world. So we're not physically at home. Yeah. And the cool thing about the property business that I have, which is actually a single let model really. So I've got around 80 single let properties. Um, I've got some HMOs, but they're not my main focus. Um, what those properties um because I've got it systemized, I've leveraged it out. I've set up my own letting agency to manage my own properties, So I've got other people working with me. It probably takes, if I'm not actively acquiring new properties and managing refurbs, somewhere between 10 a week, two to four hours a week working on my business. So, for me, it's the it's the time freedom, it's the geographic freedom, because I can run it from anywhere in the world. When COVID happened, Steve and I were actually on a seven-week tour of New Zealand. We actually got locked down, unfortunately, for five weeks in one flat in Nelson, but <laughs> right, yeah. we, we were in New Zealand. <laughs> and I could run a business <clears throat> plan without me there, you know, for my phone yeah. and uh, a MacBook Pro. So, you right. know... It's very different to dentistry where, you know, you're running a business or you are still, if you are actively still uh, patient-centric, you're treating people, people, there's only so much you can do. You're, you're one-on-one. You're still at very yeah. much exchanging your time for money. There's no leverage in it um, So that's why I think everybody should do it. And not maybe not, as you say, do it full time. Because if you truly love your job, and I did love it, but I've done it for 30 years and I'm 60 now, so that's enough time to be doing it's other things I want to do. If you truly love your job, we've all found through COVID, I mean, I've got loads of friends who are still in dentistry, you know, particularly as you say, because I was a private dentist, that's been completely decimated. You know, it's really yeah. tricky out there now. So having something else which is there to fall back on, if you can't work or you want to cut more money and <clears throat> don't want to work, I think is is a real key.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think that's what it is. I know that the the lockdown period because I I have a private practice, and you know, it resonates what you're saying about how how things are affecting business and and the whole period of lockdown where i was waking up we've got a almost 2 year old boy and a sort of almost 9 month old girl yeah. and waking up every day and you know you know, obviously it's chaos at home and trying to like juggle them with my wife and being part of those couple of months of their life all of a sudden lockdown starts to get eased you start going back to work and you're thinking do I really want to be finishing at 7 tonight and being home after they've gone to bed yeah. when I left before they'd woke up? Um, and it just makes you reflect on it. Um, now, I'd be interested to know, because I know that you, uh, you sort of started off a property journey quite early on, didn't yeah. you? So you were, um, it was like 20 years ago, about, and I think you were... About
1: what? 15 years ago, yeah. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't early, really, because I didn't buy my first investment property until I was 41. So for a lot of people listening in, you know, it, it's always worth starting whatever age you are. And certainly, I was really slow. So I'd, for 13 years, I was really playing at it, just doing it as a hobby. As my mum would say, you know, for a bit of pin money on the side, you know, collecting yeah. houses as we went along the way. I wasn't seriously thinking about making it a proper business. So even if you don't think you want to really be in property, um, I do think everybody should have some properties. You know, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, and you know, you're talking about the strategy that, that you've used because it's 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 the thing that I'm learning about now. So I'm you know, to try and make this personal to me because I'm going to try and utilize this time as best as I can. <laughs> you know, I've got, um, you know, have got a residential property. I already have one rental property and we've got, you know, a, a pot of money that we're going to be using to start to build our portfolio. I think before I began to learn about property, I remember speaking to a patient who had had a redundancy, had had um, a redundancy pay- payout and he was saying, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this money and I'm going to recycle it and I'm going to use it to buy one Then try and and I, and I could never get my head around what he meant because the traditional way of thinking about buying houses is well you get a deposit you buy a house you get a mortgage you save a deposit you buy a house you get a you know but he was buying I think four or five per year and I just couldn't quite figure out how he was doing it because so um, obviously as as easy as you can can you kind of explain you know somebody sat there now and they're thinking about getting into property and and the whole process of them buying their own home has been slow and the idea of building up deposit after deposit just seems like a long process is there is there a kind of an easy way to explain how somebody could make their money work more for them if they want to try and build property up
1: Yes, yeah, so there's a great way. It's called buy, refurbish, rent, refinance, or B-R-R or B-R-R-R-R. So, you either, so that's the way that you can take effectively almost one pot of money. In reality, it's quite difficult to take every single last penny out, but most people can take a significant chunk of money back out and go again. So I'll explain that in just a moment. But for anybody listening in, what I would say is – even if you don't do buy, refurbish, rent, refinance, even if you don't want to do that, just buy some houses. Because what I started out doing was buying some houses. So the first thing I did was I, um, because, to go back a little bit, because we didn't own our own, my parents didn't own our own home when I was growing up, my absolute dream growing up as a child was to own my own home outright mortgage-free. And many people in the UK have that, still have that dream. Uh, isn't yeah. it rich dad, poor dad, which... Many people will have read, but some may not have, by Robert Kiyosaki. I would recommend everybody should read that book just to get the mindset yeah. you know, good debt, bad debt. So when I got together with Steve, I persuaded him that we should pay off the mortgage on the house that we bought, You know, the modest house that we first bought. So by 2000, no, 1999, we were mortgage-free and then 2001, after I'd had two years of thinking, wow, I've made it, I haven't got a mortgage on my house, I then refinanced the house we lived in and took that money out and used it as a seed capital to buy other houses. So, obviously, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not qualified to give anybody financial advice. I should just say that, but that's what I did, and that worked really well. And what I did was I did nothing fancy with that. I just went out and bought houses. In reality, because Steve at that time, and he still is to this day, was really risk-averse. He was like, ooh, what if house prices go? <laughs> oh, what if interest rates go up? So mainly buy five houses in Derby for cash. And believe it or not, I got 170 grand out of the house we lived in. You can actually buy five one and two bedroom starter homes on nice estates in Derby. You know, five of those for 170 grand. All out for cash, that's what I did, and they ranged in price from 30,000 to 44, that's what I got. And I didn't leverage them, I didn't put mortgages on them, which is a silly thing to do. And I had to wait for them to go up because they were modern houses that I couldn't actually do a refurbishment on. And that's the principle of buy refurbishing finance. But I have to say, uh, I've had them 19 years, and pretty well all of them, give or take, have nearly trebled in value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even if you can't recycle all the money, just buy some houses because people don't. Yeah. What they do is they get stuck in analysis paralysis. And the other thing that people do is they want the perfect deal. Yeah. So, what they do is they'll do a little bit of property training or read some property books, none of which was available when I started. And they'll think, oh, I've got to get it 25% below market value. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, I'll spend a whole year researching and not yeah. buying anything. As long as you can buy a property that cash flows nicely, so that you've got money left after you've paid the mortgage and you've got um, – some buffer if a boiler breaks or the tenant doesn't pay or whatever. Um, as long as you're making cash flow from it and there's a potential perhaps for some capital growth, so you're not buying in really impoverished areas which have seen no growth over the last 10 or 15 years, then you you will make money from property. And as I say, I've calculated it And I've made more money through capital growth across my portfolio in the 19 years I've had it than I ever have through rental income. So you've got to be in the game to make the money. Yes. Yeah. to answer your question, which is what you're trying to get me to, I just want to encourage people who are thinking, oh, that sounds like a lot of complex. Just find a great property, put a lovely tenant in it, get a great letting agent to put your lovely tenant in it and take the cash each month and you will still make money from property. But the yeah. really cool thing, which I learned when I became part of Progressive in 2014, was the buy refurbish refinance or buy refurbish rent refinance. So here you buy a property, hopefully at a bit of a discount. But I still maintain that people, the people that I train often get so hung up because the property books all talk about getting a 25% discount. That's not always possible. I have got great discounts, but I don't always get a massive discount. What I'm looking for is can I add value in some other way? So hopefully buying the property, I don't know, 10% discount, depends on the market. Then I'm going to add the other value by doing something to the property which forces the appreciation of it. So you buy a bit of a discount and you do a refurb. Now, in my world, Anne's world, a refurb is anything that adds to the perceived value of a property. So taking the example of a property that needs a new roof – uh, if I had to put a new roof on I would but I wouldn't actively look for properties to put a new roof on them to add any value because frankly it doesn't because yeah. 98% of properties on that street will have a roof on them so a new roof adds very little value we're looking for things that when somebody walks into the property and the valuer or the surveyor is only a human if they, he or she walks into a property it's got a fantastic new kitchen in it it's got a nice new bathroom in it it's you know redecorated throughout it's got nice new floor coverings, carpets or vinyl or lamp or whatever, then, and the outside looks really good, nice front door, perhaps outside spaces, neat and tidy. They're going to start to add, in their mind, value to that property. So, in my world, a refurb, a light refurb, which is what we should all start with, is always a new kitchen, a new bathroom, redecorated throughout, new floor coverings. And that usually, in most parts of the country, allow you to spend one pound to add around three pounds worth of value, which allows you to start pulling money back out the other end. Now, I often leave. Well, it depends where it is. With. I'm commonly leaving nowadays two, three thousand pounds in the property. Right. The property will be renting out somewhere in my area between 550 to 650 pounds a month for a two or three bedroom house. Um, it will cash flow. After the mortgage and after most payments, two to three hundred pounds. So it's not life changing sums of money when we used to dentistry or we used to earning six figures. But you can do that many times over. So, what happens is you you buy the property, you carry out a refurbishment on it, you rent it to a tenant. You can usually get it rented within a couple of months of buying because you're only doing a light refit. Tenant starts paying the rent. Then you refinance it or finance it. So my mode of operation is not to buy the property initially with a mortgage. And the reason to not buy it with a mortgage is so that I can refinance in six months' time. Because what a mortgage owners will not allow you to do is either put a mortgage on a property, even if you buy it with cash, or refinance it if you bought it with a mortgage in less than six months. It's not a a law. They call it the six-month rule, but it's not really a law. It's just... Most mortgage lenders enforce that. Not all do. So you've got some mortgage lenders like, for instance, Virgin have a product um, uh, that allows you to um, refinance within six months. It changes all the time. Currently, it's Virgin. You've got some commercial lenders that won't enforce that. But rates tend to be higher. Um, Mortgages... The lenders don't really like you to constantly be refinancing every six months. You'll run out. You're going to build a big business. You'll very quickly run out of lenders that want that will allow you to do that. So you'll be blacklisted yeah. from a number of lenders. So my mode of operation is to buy for cash. So you can buy for cash either by taking equity out of your own home, buy for cash, fund your own refurb, and then refinance six months onto a product for say two years on a fix or five years whatever you choose and then you're tying that money in for that period of time then you'll get some capital growth then you can repeat the process yeah but of course that's just one property you're going to do it with multiple properties how to do it with multiple properties either you've got a big pot of money and some people listening in will have a big pot of money and then you can do it or you can use other people's money so in the training that i teach and when i teach a lot of people i'm not teaching to uh, training people who actually have any funds. A lot of the people who come to property courses have been made redundant. They don't have you know big redundancy payoffs, or they they don't have any savings. They don't have any cash. So what we encourage them to you to use is other people's money, and gives other people a great rate of return on the money that they lend to them. So yeah. somewhere people often ask how much it varies. Typical figures would be anything from five to ten percent on the sort of sliding scale. People would offer other investors, and the, then the money that they give to the person who's going to build their portfolio is usually secured with a first charge against the property, which is right. then redeemed subsequently when the the definitive mortgage is placed on the property. Right. So we talk an awful lot about joint ventures, about using other people's money, because a lot of people. Most people in the UK are interested in property, in English, and the as this Castle, but not everybody is brave enough to do it. Yeah. And they're, so they're predisposed towards properties of safe investment class, you know, safe as houses. And most people in the UK at the moment are running the square root of nothing on any money that they've got in the yeah. bank. So um, that's been very successful. So the way to build a big portfolio quickly at scale is to use multiple pots of other people's money and then have multiple refurbs going on at the same time and then build it by, by momentum investing very quickly because you're gonna leave not as much as you imagine usually in each property if you do a refurb to pull that value up. So the way it would work is <clears> have <throat> me think of an example. I haven't Got an example off the top of my head, but say if you one of my examples, if you get the figures right. So I bought a property for 50,000 pounds, I spent about 7,000 on a refurb, 1,500 on the stamp duty. Because as an uh, investor in the UK, when you have a second home or a buy to let property, you've got to pay three percent stamp, and I know. Many people listening in may be aware, I don't know, when you listen to this podcast, but at the moment in the UK, we're talking in August 2020, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, has announced a stamp duty holiday yeah. on purchase up to £500,000 until next March. And that applies across the board, but because you're an investor, you still got to pay 3% up to 500000 So you still. So fifteen hundred stamp. uh, What did I say? So fifty thousand purchase price. Around seven on the refurb. Fifteen hundred on the stamp. I think my total spend was fifty eight something. Then it was revalued six months down the line. Um, Value went in. Looked at the property and said because I'd done the refurb on it, it was now worth seventy six. And then they release 75% of... So the mortgage, the average buy-to-let mortgage has a loan-to-value of 75%. Yeah. So they released to me 75% of the 76 uplifted value, which meant I had to leave about £1,600 of my cash, if you like, in that deal. And it cash flows around £300 a month. So, you know, that's kind of... If you take what the the cash flow of £300 a month on the investment. Yeah. The return on capital employed is over 240%. It's yeah. huge. Um, yeah. So not get, you may not get all of your money. If I had to leave £5,000 and it would still be a return of at only 60% on my money. It's, it's really, really cool. And that doesn't take into account any future capital growth on the property.
0: Yeah. And um, so, I mean, do you have some baseline figures that you look at? So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, do you have a a certain type of house? Because there's certain types of houses that I'm looking at. It's similar to that. It's anything where I'm going to be spending less than I'd, well, less than a hundred grand on the purchase, the refurb, all the fees. I'm looking at buying in cash and then looking at then financing it and refinancing it in six months. Um, Is that the kind of window that you're looking at?
1: So what, what, but the stamp duty threshold used to be 125,000 where you start to pay your 2% stamp. So when it gets to 125,000, normally in the normal uh, world, the investor starts to pay 5% stamp and that's, it's just around that sort of sweet spot, of anything up to 125. In certain areas where rents are higher, maybe up to 150, you don't want to be going much above £150,000 because then it gets harder to pull all of the money back out. Yeah. It may still sort of cash flow really well. So people often say to me, what about London where you can't put all of your money back out? In certain instances, you can pull the bulk of the money back out, but you might have to leave more in. Now, just to go back to HMOs, because many people listening in will be interested in houses and multiple occupation HMOs. I have got some HMOs. I had five. I've sold one. I've now down, down to four. Um, what I'm finding with the HMO market at the moment is it's significantly more competitive than the single let market in terms of my HMOs were all really lovely. So there were most of them, all of them, I think, were bought around four or five years ago. And they're coming to the point now where they have been refurbished, if you like, two or three times in five years. Because when you're doing a HMO-type model, you've got to have the swanky new, you know, all singing, all dancing, what the current fashion is in that. Property and people are constantly upgrading HMOs. So the the investment in them is significant, and most people nowadays are leaving more money in. So you you might cash for, I don't know, say a thousand pounds a month. That's figures you often hear on property training. You might leave forty thousand pounds in that it's cash five thousand pounds a month. Yeah. If you've only left five thousand pounds in it and it's cash for three hundred pounds a month, it's a single let. To me that's a better that's a better model. It's also yeah. significantly less stress, significantly less hassle. Because you can get a family in or a couple in who are going to stay for years and years and years. My average length of tenancy on a single let model is over five years. So right, yeah. you know, it's literally set and forget. So yeah. I, I've come full circle because I did a lot of property training with Progressive Property when I came out of dentistry and I did all the, I've done all the courses, I've done all the strategies. I went up chasing what I call now a load of bright, shiny pennies and I've come full circle with <laughs> yeah. lets Because yeah, particularly if you're trying to run a dental business as well or you've got yeah. a busy career or you've got young kids um, and you're not ready to go all in on property, I think the easiest path of entry is single lets. It's the least work. It's the most passive. And it can be pretty passive, you know, you get a great letting agent, on but once you've done the refurb, it's kind of done. And it's done until yeah. so maybe the next tenant moves out, you might have to redecorate, change the carpets or something. But you won't have to completely change the bathroom and the kitchen like you are going to do with many HMOs.
0: And, and regarding, you know, if you're busy and you've got, you know, your dental practice, whether you are own it, you're a principal or an associate or whatever, um, you know, looking at viewing practices, uh, viewing properties—you know—trying to fit that in can be quite difficult. I mean, I notice in the market in Leeds, it's quite competitive, so I might set four or five viewings up, and three of them have gone by the time it comes round to viewing them. So, what do you think about uh, people that source property and using a company to try and find deals for you? So you let you leave it up to someone else to do, or do you think you need to be the person to go to find and to view?
1: Okay, so honestly. It's yeah. always better to do it yourself. Honestly, yeah. that's an honest, truthful answer. I've used sources. I've used sources in my HMOs because HMOs are actually work in my area. So when I was into HMOs, I used sources to source them. I've got other companies managing the, you know, the tenant management, if you like. Uh, it's quite difficult to find a great HMO managing agent. So I think it's always best to do it yourself. If you can find somebody in a trusted community, so – there are people in the Progressive Property community, particularly the Progressive VIP community, which is a paid mentorship program, who are in that community, who it would be very difficult for them if they were sourcing documents with other people. What I wouldn't recommend anybody does is just go to a national sourcing agent. So my top tip on sourcing is you need to be dealing with a guy or a gal who literally lives in that area or works that area and spends a lot of time in that area, who has great relationships with estate agents or is doing a direct-to-vendor campaign in that area knows the streets like the back of his or her hand. Yeah. If you go to one of the national We Buy Any House type companies, where they are just sourcing um, properties nationwide. They won't have the local knowledge um, and they may, they may want to just offload stock without any ownership for or responsibility for your investment moving forward. Yeah. The other thing I will say, and I'm not a deal sourcer, I'm not a deal packager, and this going to sound a little bit, maybe not quite the nicest thing to say, is most deal sourcers or deal packages can raise lots of money. They've got investors around there. If it's a great deal, they can buy it themselves. So you're never going to get the very good deals. You'll get right. deals, they won't be the best deals, because every deal sourcer and deal packager I know, um very close friends with the ones in the progressive property community, all keep all the good deals for themselves. So it's best to do it yourself. You, yeah. you can try and form great relationships with the stages if you can get in there. You can use a direct-to-vendor marketing campaign. Um, which we teach at Progressive. You know, I've got a system for direct-to-mender marketing campaign. And as uh, healthcare professionals, pretty well every dentist I know, one or two, have re- got really great people skills. You know, you, yeah. our strength is human interaction, problem-solving, putting people at ease. So when you're dealing with motivated vendors, i.e. Like people who need to sell their property quickly, we can act with tact and sensitivity, and we will look to solve their problems. We won't just be trying to screw them over to get their properties you know, cheap off yeah. them. We'll be looking for all the solutions. So I think we're uniquely placed to be really great at sourcing our own properties, particularly direct to vendor. Um, right. Yeah, and then once you've bought one or two properties to an estate agent and they know you're serious and you are doing it, you know, you're not going to go back on your word. You're going to follow through with every purchase. You can form good relationships with estate agents just by, just by being present. You don't always, they've become much more, or they were, prior to this little mini boom. At the moment, it has a like hotcakes. It's quite difficult to form with agents but when it, we were still kind of in lockdown it was quite easy with estate agents because you could literally ring them up so even if you were in the surgery you could be ringing them up than just going to the estate agent and talking to them um, so we've that, that little window of opportunity has passed a little bit. But I think you, you, as long as you touch base with your estate agents, ring them up a couple of times a week, go whenever you can, it's still possible to get deals through estate agents. It's certainly possible to get deals through ex-vendor. So it's so a long-winded way of saying if you can do it yourself, I think it's definitely yeah. the best. Um, if you're training with somebody or you form a relationship with a new sourcer, that can work well. Because once they become very established, they've got their own Resources to buy the good stuff when they're just getting going there may be some real gems there and they just yeah. um, oh yeah. um,
0: and you, you just you, you spoke about training you know you, I mean you're an advocate for training I think you know property is something which you know seems simple you know you buy a house and you do this but I think knowing how to look at property the right way is so vital um, you know obviously you, you, you now train people because I know you feel passionate about that. Um, so yeah, I think that's important to mention as well. I mean, you, you know, you, you do do stuff for Progressive. So do you think that uh, even though people might be interested and they may not know that they necessarily want to go ahead now, I mean, is it too early to learn about property or do you think that, you know what, just educate yourself, you know, become a bit more enlightened about it, figure out um, as much as you can and learn and then, yeah, just kind of start as quickly as you can. Is that, is that your philosophy?
1: Well, I did it on my own for 13 years, and my property education could have been written on the back of an envelope. Um, my friends, Miles and Joe, came for Sunday lunch one day. Some people might have heard this story, but Joe's a physio and Miles is a GP, and this was in 2001. And they still are to this day. So Joe's still a physio and Miles is still a GP. Mm-hmm. And they announced to me and Steve, because I was cooking the Sunday lunch, Joe was chattering away to me and she said, we just bought a little house near the station in Derby. And I looked at her and I said, why have you done that? You've got a fantastic house in you know, the best school catchment area, you know, the, the leafy suburbs of you know, Alistair, Alistair. Why on earth would you be buying houses, got little terraces near the station? And she said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we've got a mortgage on it, a buy-to-let mortgage on it. It's a repayment mortgage and the rent is more than the mortgage. So it's twenty-five years this mortgage is over, and because the rent's more than the mortgage, in twenty-five years' time, we'll have a free house. And it was like a thousand LED had gone off in my head—not a light bulb. Yeah. I looked at, it, I said, "Wow, that's amazing!" Because I it just had not occurred to me. Now that's entirely the wrong way to do it. Anybody who's listening to the podcast, do not go out and buy them on a repayment mortgage. Always, always get interest only. Um, but that—that that was just all it took me to get going. And I, that was, I got two degrees. I've got an integrated degree in anatomy, basic medical science. I've got the dental degree. I've got a shed load of, you know, all the other stuff that we've got afterwards. It didn't occur to me to get, try and get any training in property or even read any books on it. I went out and spent thousands of pounds on houses, and I made yeah. a, load, a load of mistakes. Now, training with progressives, you know, nothing like what any of us would pay for for most stuff that we would do. You know, if you wanted to do well, it's less than £2,000 uh, or something if you wanted to be on a four-day course at Progressive. It's, it's literally, you know, very yeah. affordable. Um, and it teaches you pretty well everything you need to know to build a sustainable property business from day one. It's not rocket science. So it, it, for all of us listening in who've got all these degrees, it is literally really simple. And there's a temptation because it's so simple to think, I don't need any training on it. What you can't get from necessarily all the books or the Googling is you can't get somebody like myself or my other co-trainers who've got decades of experience now because one of the guys I've trained with has been in, in property for 35 years who just knows exactly what to do in any given situation and yeah. all the trick tips and tricks and other kind of stuff um, to kind of keep you safe. Yeah. So I, I'm a huge advocate for that, and it's massively accelerated the journey of many people that I've through in property, but you could literally buy every property book known to man and Google it all, and you would be able to do it. I don't think you need to be trained in property, but I would certainly recommend it if anybody wants to fast track because yes. it makes a massive difference. Many of the people that we um, train. Not all of them. No, certainly not doctors and dentists. I've got a guy who's a consultant orthopedic surgeon at the moment. He's not going to replace his income in a year because he's a private consultant orthopedic surgeon. But many of the people from what I call ordinary professions, they teachers, you know, IT consultants, have gone on to replace their salary within a year to 18 months of of doing the course. So certainly we can all build, you know, a legacy for generations. That's the other thing. You know, when my... When when I die, my pension, will. if I survive my husband, will go to my husband. And when he dies, well, half of it will go to my husband. And then when he dies, that just dies. My whole portfolio will not vaporize as I'm driving. You you don't drive down the street and see houses going up in smoke. That that, that portfolio just passes to the next generation and so on. So I think it's important for us all to build a nest egg like that. And I, I get, sometimes I get a little, I've just alluded to the fact that Many people that we train at Progressive um, haven't spent as many years getting to where they need to be as most dentists or doctors i are married to a doctor have done. I'm not decrying what they've done. They may work very hard, but I certainly know that in my youth I gave up a lot of my time, my social time, my efforts to train to become what I was as a dentist. There was a lot of sacrifice in that. And, yes, the monetary rewards came, but they came quite late in the day. Whereas I train people who are fresh out of school or people who, you know, done a different non-vocational degree at uni or been in some other job and just come along and then, you know, they're making – yeah, significant sums of money within a year to 18 months. So sometimes I think, through property, and sometimes I think, is that really fair? And mm-hmm. lots of doctors and dentists I talk to, not all business owners, but lots of, say, associates and other particularly doctors are really bad at this. They're not remotely entrepreneurial. Dentists are a bit more, but doctors aren't. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they have grafted really hard all their lives. And what the NHS pension, you know, trouble Hassles with that at the moment. They're not going to be able to retire in the way that they deserve to if they yeah. don't have the income from property. So I'm a bit of a yeah. soapbox to encourage health or healthcare yeah. professionals, not just doctors and dentists, but all healthcare professionals to build a portfolio as well
0: to yeah. support
1: them moving forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that word "legacy." Then that's just the word I've been using. You know, that's my internal dialogue. That's one of my justifications to really start focusing on this. Um, just one sort of because we will be tying up soon. Because um, that you know you've given me so much value that this is just you know um, I've been making notes secretly underneath as well. <laughs> um, so what do you feel the housing market is going to do? I know there's a bit of uncertainty and it's difficult to, to know for certain. I've got quite
1: but... views on it. What I think is happening at the moment is we are in. For those of you a bit geeky like. me You could Google the 18-year property cycle and look at that. Property's been going in cycles since they uh, records began, really. So what we're at the moment now is we're in a mini boom. The stars have all aligned. You know, there's people are using bounce back loans to buy houses. There's a load of pent up demand. So. Everywhere, pretty well everywhere I'm talking to all my friends in property in the UK, the whole of the UK has gone wild. You know, property prices are going through the roof. You can't get a deal at this stage. and It's mad. It's mad out there. What will happen is there will be um, a mini boom and then there's got to be a correction. I just can't see how there can't be a correction because furlough is going to come to an end. You think of all the businesses closing, the unemployment's on the rise. I just think there's going to be a correction. So I think now is a perfect time for all of us to start educating ourselves on property and maybe building relationships with the estate agents, maybe start to refund If you're thinking, of oh, but I can't give financial advice, this is not financial advice. If you're thinking of taking equity out of your own home while it's worth a lot, now might be the time to do that and secure a great you know, fixed-rate mortgage on that and have a war chest of money to go out and start buying stuff when the correction starts to happen because... I just can't see that this is sustainable at the moment. Yeah. So I actually have got cash stockpiled at the moment, which is killing me because it's earning the square root of nothing. Yeah. But I do believe there are bargains coming, so I'm practising what I preach and I've got a stockpile of cash to start buying stuff. And I'm not, I am not—I haven't bought anything for a few months now. I'm waiting for something to happen. I could be proved wrong, but for me, I think theres it's too hot at the moment. A market that is overheating like it is, is not sustainable. That's my prediction. In August 2020
0: yeah brilliant Anne. you know I really appreciate that and, and if you would not mind what I quite like to do because um you know we have you know we have listeners all over the place and I think it'd be quite good if you know, joking aside, if we did check back at some point in the future, I think what I want to do with this podcast is that I'm going to talk about my property journey a little bit periodically, um, and you know, I am going to take on board what you said. I, I am already part of the progressive property community, and I, and I do watch and look and try and learn as much as I can, and I'm going to implement things, and I'll, I'll maybe keep you posted if, if 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 you wouldn't mind just chatting every now and then. Um, maybe bring you back at some point and update people to see, have to see how how things are going um, yeah but I, I really appreciate your time and you know you've got a lot of like really sort of I don't know you're so informative with with property and, and I do believe that people need to be moving as much of their sort of earned income and trying to invest in assets and try and get some form of passive income. I never think it's totally passive, but you know,
1: it's a lot more, a lot more passive than doing a root fling or up at like seven with a patient that won't open their mouth and dental nurses, you know, had a row with a partner the night before. Yeah, much that, easier than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are is, there is far more easy things to do. All right, brilliant, Anne. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. And I uh, thank you for your time. And, um, yeah, I hope everyone listening took a lot of value from that. I'm sure they did, but I, uh, I appreciate that. Cheers, Anne. I
1: mean, journey. Thank Everybody you. go and buy some houses.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cheers and bye bye.